father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Hello, and welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopedia Podcast for Waste Time and Fictional Wikis. My name is Ryan. My name is Joanna. What was that furtive glance, hither and thither, before you started talking? I want to make sure nobody's watching. Uh, we're the only ones here. Because we're going to talk about some real juicy stuff today. We're going to talk about juicy juice. Juicy 99% juice. juice. Sunny kids. delight made with 5% real fruit juice. Oh, hang on. Do you consider... Sunny D to be orange juice? No. Sunny D is Sunny D. It's that's so- why it doesn't specify made with real orange juice. It's just real fruit juice. That's when you, when you said Sunny D in the juice category. I kind of... It's, well, what would it be if not juice? It is juice-ish. Do you have any news for us this week? Well, okay. So the first thing is that Lord of the Rings, Amazon's television show is going to start filming in August in Scotland. So there's okay. that. Cool. Whatevs. But another perhaps more interesting story is recently a university in Oklahoma, uh, very specifically the Oklahoma Baptist University, recently received a package on their doorstep. And when they opened it up, it was a first edition copy of Lord of the Rings that had been stolen from the library in 1972. What are the uh, late finds on that? Oh, there's no late finds. They're actually extremely magnanimous about it. Yeah. It was, in fact, stolen, but the person wrote a little apology note, and so they basically said, in fact, they literally said, no harm, no foul. Oh. The same person returned a first edition copy of The Hobbit to, let's see, the University of North Texas. So apparently in the 70s, this person was just a serial library book stealer, specifically first edition Tolkien, and then, like, you know, 40... Plus, years later, they had a crisis of conscience, and they just mailed them back with apology notes, and nobody's pursuing legal action, even though the Baptist University says they're pretty sure they know who took it. Wow. What a scoop. But the person seems to feel really bad, so they're gonna let it go. Well, so do serial killers after they come out that they killed, like, 30 women in the 70s or whatever. You're right. That is pretty comparable, it's isn't the same it? Thing. That is pretty comparable, isn't it? Like, when Ted Cruz apologizes for all those people he killed as the Zodiac Killer... Uh, it's going to be pretty much on par with this apology note for taking first edition Lord of the Rings. And what does our society do? No harm, no foul. Hey, it's okay, Cruz. Ted Cruz. No harm, no foul. Ted Cruz has done a lot of harm and a lot of foul. Yes. But that's neither here nor there. What Star Wars news do you have? Oh, Joanna, I have all the news. Because this weekend, as I mentioned last time, it was the Star Wars celebration Ooh, in Chicago. Any big announcements come out? Did you watch the teaser for episode nine? I did not. Um, well, somebody shut up on- right now. Don't talk right now. We're going to watch it right now. Somebody on Facebook said it was boring. They're boring and suck. <laughs> Here we go. Well, now we know what the ninth movie's called. The Rise of Skywalker. The Rise of Skywalker. But, I mean, apart from that, there are a number of things to point out. First of all, Carrie Fisher appears to be very much in this movie. Yeah, so I watched the Celebration panel live on YouTube when it was on, uh, on was it Friday? Yeah, it was Friday. And J.J. Abrams was there and the entire <coughs> cast was up there. And he was saying that the stuff they used for this movie apparently is stuff they didn't use in The Force Awakens. Okay, so they already had it. They have footage of Carrie Fisher. She's not going to be CGI. She's not going to be like... That's good, because that's what they've been saying from the beginning, and it would be rather distasteful. There's not going to be any voiceover crap. Trailer's got a lot of crazy stuff in it. Most importantly is 
Palpatine laughing at the end. Yeah, Palpatine was laughing at the end. Also, Lando. Lando is in it. Yes, Lando is a, a Billy D. Williams is at the panel. He has he, not aged that much. No. I mean, he looks like he looks older, but it's very much still like, oh, that's Lando. He's great. He sounds. Exactly he has a great mustache, but I mean, there's a few new things in here. And one thing that the panel revealed to me. You remember that poster I showed you last time? Yes. I think it's real. Wait. Because, so C three PO is going to wear. A Chewy, bandolier Chewy's of Chewie's yeah. making, and also there is going to be a random orange alien having an asthma attack in the background. They said t- they they showed the alien in the panel. His name is Claude, apparently. Okay, like C L A U D. I don't know. He's a friend of Chewie's, apparently. I'm Claude. He's part of the resistance. They also showed off a new droid that's going to be BB-8's new friend. Yeah. They showed him a little bit in the trailer, just see him briefly, and he like tilts his head with BB-8. His name is Dio, and he's a- he's like, Dio! Dio Saba! He looks, um, all this concept art showed him as kind of like a, like a duck droid. Okay. He's a little, little wheelie guy with like a little, little beaky nose. Okay, he's a duck. He's a little duck. And so he's going to be BB-8's new friend. That's um, cute. I'm glad BB-8 can have a friend. But a few things, I mean, I don't know, man. It's all speculation. J.J. Abrams- <laughs> I'm cautiously optimistic. He's he's good at setting up puzzle boxes. Really bad at opening them and showing up what the puzzles are inside. And so I'm afraid a little bit that he's going to go back and like kind of revert all the stuff the Last Jedi did to make it more put everything back in his puzzle box. Like Ray has a flashback of the stuff that happened in Episode Seven, and there's a polar bear there. Yeah, right. Or yeah. or <laughs> a statue monster. with four toes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm still worried about Carrie Fisher because you know what I think of is I think of the Hunger Games. Where Philip Seymour Hoffman oh, died, yeah. and then at the end, they just had Haymitch be like, yeah, Plutarch couldn't be here, but he wrote you this letter, so I'm just gonna read it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think the visuals are very cool. I think that there's gonna be some good stuff. Story-wise, I'm really interested to see if and how Palpatine plays into it. They would go to, there's a wreckage of a Death Star in the trailer. Yes, that was kind of cool. So I'm thinking that it might be like his spirit is living on in like the wreckage of the Death Star or something. Is that a thing that he can do? I don't know. I mean, Force Ghosts... The rules aren't established that well. No. For all... I mean, in, in the books... They clone the Emperor and make a brand new Emperor and like... Yeah, but that's the books. They also clone Luke's hand and make a brand new Luke yeah. with an extra U. It could be Palpatine behind everything again. I don't know. I don't know. Or it could be Snow. I hope it's not Snoke. I it's hope... Snow. Because at the panel... Snoke was robbed. At the panel, after the trailer played the first time and everyone's going bonkers, blah, 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 the whole stage was dark and then a red light illuminated. And who was on stage? It was Ian McDermott. <gasps> and he goes, play it again. Oh, wow, Palpatine himself. Yeah, yeah dude. So That's kind of cool. I think it's kind of fun. That's kind of cool. We'll see what happens. Anyway, that was the big news. The, there's a panel about the Mandalorian today. I watched a little bit of that. That looks pretty cool. Yeah. There's a new Star Wars single player video game. He plays a Jedi. Looks pretty sweet. Cool. They talked more about Galaxy's Edge, but I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later. That's, that's the uh, Disney park they're opening up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about some of that. The big news is that uh, Coke is going to have their products there, okay. all, but all the labels are going to be in Arabesh. Oh my gosh, so you won't know what you're drinking! Enjoy! Plastic orb with like kind of a, a red label on it and this this curving logo written in Arabesh. It's like, and it's got a brown bubbling liquid inside. What kind of space drink is this? You drink it and it turns out it's like Mountain Dew. And you're like, what the <laughs> What's the Coke one? It's, I can show you pictures. No, right Sierra here. Mist. That's what I was trying to think of. That's, Pep- that's a Pepsi version of Sprite. Sprite is the Coke product. Wait, what's Mountain Dew? It's a Pepsi product. So wait, they have both Mountain Dew and Sierra Mist? Aren't they the same? No, Sierra's Mist is like a Sprite, uh, like kind of a light. But I thought Mountain Dew was also like a Sprite. Oh, have you had Mountain Dew before? I I actually have not, Ryan. You've known this about me since we started dating. I don't drink soda. You've never drank a Mountain Dew? No, I've never drank a Mountain Dew. I I drank like half a cup of Surge 
at a friend's birthday party when I was nine, and I almost went to cardiac arrest. Have you had a Have you had a code red? No. Have you had a Baja Blast? No. We gotta get some Mountain Dew today. I only like root beer. <laughs> we gotta have you try some Mountain Dew. I only like Barks root beer. So yeah, here's the uh, the soda orbs. Well, they really are orbs. And they're Orabesh. It's just the Star Wars language. I think that if you are familiar with soda labels, you should be fine. But if I saw that sprite, I would not know what it was. I would not know if it was Sierra Mist, Mountain Dew, Mountain Lion, Dr. Perky. you say, one green soda orb, my good man. you say, right away. I just have to guess. I bet they're going to cost at least like $11 because they're round. Oh, I'm sorry. That's going to be... 1100 credits. Credits! How many ships are you gonna have to scrap to afford that? How many portions will you get? So, but there's still no news on uh, Mark Hamill, carte blanche, just milking people. No, he's, he's within the confines of the park. He's always doing that. He's always doing that. They're paying him to do it. He's getting paid. I'm not gonna he's talk about it all here. I can spend a whole podcast talking about the Star Wars news from this weekend, but that is the, the news that's fit to print. Mountain Dew. We gotta buy some Mountain Dew today. We gotta try some. I don't like soda. Then you'll hate Mountain Dew. We gotta- <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to drink it then. All right, Joanna. So moving on, my my geekery is done. I want to I want to learn something. I'm going from a more boyish enthusiasm into a more scholarly mindset, and I want to learn something. Are you saying that I'm scholarly? Because if so, screw you. I'm not no ivory tower academic. I'm salt of the earth. You say that as you push up your. I don't know anything. If you're not stupid, then get the hell out. As she affixes her her elbow patches onto her tweed jacket. I am wearing an old Sailor Moon t-shirt and shorts. And her hair is done up with a pencil Scrunchy. stuck within it. And she is has a quill and she's jotting things down into a great dusty tone no. on top of a... No. Top of a, top of a I don't believe in uh, any lectern. of that. I don't believe in any of that. If you know things, screw you. She's, We're stupid out she's here. She's currently spinning a globe and looking at it... Actually, you, I am farting stealthily. So what do you got for me, scholar? We're going to talk about the stewards of Gondor. Cool. I think you told me that. Yeah, but not on air. Okay, off air. Okay, you, can, I, you can at least pretend no, to be surprised, Jesus. Here's a little secret. Uh, before each show, I I, uh, I kind of think of, like, what would be a funny thing to say? I mean, it's it's, it's really kind of a, an interesting technique I use to make uh, things in the show To make, th- funny. To, to employ this technique known as humor. It's called humor and, like, kind of coming up with, well, I think people call jokes. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to start this with right off the bat so I, just, I don't lose it. And also, it's not going to interrupt your great learning. All right, what's your steward joke? Uh, did they ever have, like, a little mouse work for Gondor? Oh, my God. Brian, here's why I'm mad at you. Because, actually, the end of the script I wrote ends with a Stuart little joke. Okay, and well, you just ruined we'll, it. We'll cut this out. I'll cut this out. <laughs> no, uh-uh. I want them both in here now. I want them both in here now because I want people to know that this happened organically. We both independently made a Stuart Little joke. I'm um, asking if they had a Stuart of Gondor. <laughs> no, they just had stewards. No mice. In fact, you couldn't be a steward unless you were an old white man. Much like the barrier of entry to politics nowadays. <laughs> now, now, stewards were first created by the powerful king, Romendacil I. Probably Romendacil. Usually C is pronounced K. In Tolkien, steward was the traditional title of a chief counselor to the kings of Gondor. And as I said, just like modern day politicians, he was usually an elderly man, not from the royal house. Mm-hmm. Unlike modern day politicians, he was chosen for his wisdom and integrity. <laughs> Zing! Ooh! Why now? Off, queen! Oh. Try to come back from that one, you bitch politician. Slay! Anywho, the steward was never permitted to go to war, nor to go abroad. In this way, he was expected to keep the level-headed impartiality necessary to be a good advisor, like Jafar. 
If Jafar was a good advisor. I'm not like a weird old man trying to commit magical date rape. Yeah, and turn into a big snake. But anyway, so originally this was an honorary title, Steward was. Uh, but the position became hereditary from the time of Steward Pelendur of the House of Hurin. And after the loss of King Aernur in Minas Morgul, Mardil Voronwe became the first ruling steward and his descendants ruled Gondor until the time of Denethor II, at which point Aragorn was crowned king of the reunited kingdom. It's a lot of names. Don't worry, we're going to go through them slowly. Right. Now, these, just to recap, these are the guys who kind of kept an eye on Gondor when they didn't have a king. Yes. They did not have a king. In fact, they didn't have a king for a real long time. Yeah. A real long time. And when you find out why they didn't have a king, it is actually kind of stupid. Oh, really? So, well, it's stupid on the king's part, yes. Okay. We will get to that in a minute. Now, the stewards watched over the throne until such time as it could be reclaimed by a true king of Gondor, as you said. And this true king of Gondor had to be an heir of Elendil. Uh, when asked by his son Boromir how long a time must pass before a steward could become a king if the king did not return, Denethor II replied, Few years, maybe, in other places of less royalty. In Gondor, ten thousand years would not suffice. <laughs> and that was a conversation reported by Faramir, who was presumably trying to dunk on his dad. I think he probably, like, exaggerated it a little bit to make his dad sound dumb. I don't think so. I think that's a really Denethor thing to say, because he's really damn dramatic about everything. Okay, maybe. Like, hey, Dad, the line of kings has been broken for, like, centuries or whatever. The stewards have been de facto kings for all that time. You sure we can't just, like, call them kings? And Denethor's like, ten thousand years would not be enough! You can see him, like, imitating his dad and be like, and then my dad was like, ten thousand years! Yeah, I could see Faramir doing that. Actually, I couldn't, but he would be entitled to, if he yeah. was so inclined. Yeah, I don't think he's a bad bad son. I just think he, uh... No, but his dad is not a great dad. Yeah. Now, in recognition of the fact that they were not, in fact, kings, as Denethor intimated, the stewards never sat on the throne of the king. Instead, they sat on a simple chair of black stone placed below it. So you you see Denethor sitting on this chair in the movie version of Return of the King. Yes. Also, the symbol of the steward's office was a white rod. White rod? A white rod. You don't see this in the movie version of Return of the King, I don't think. So, a rod. Um, but you do see a lot of cherry tomatoes eaten in a gross turdish fashion. <laughs> it was like a plain white, it was like a PVC pipe. I'm thinking of like what the, what the pharaohs used. It was, like, used, it was like, like a really boring facsimile of a scepter. Kind okay. of like that black chair was like a boring version of a phone. Or a throne. <laughs> I'm Charlie Brooker. In this episode of Black Mirror, Black Throne. You think it's a phone. <laughs> but it's a throne. But it's a throne. That's the joke. Twisted in it. <laughs> so anyway, it was like, a, it was, yeah, it was just some kind of scepter looking thing, presumably. So over a period of at least 1,080 years between 541 of the Third Age and 1621 of the Third Age, we had a lot of stewards who no one bothered to write down or care about. Oh, man. So the office of steward was created by a king called King Romandikil I, as I said, who died in 541 of the Third Age. So the first steward must have taken office sometime before 541 of the third age but for the next 17 kings and hence roughly the next 17 stewards just no one gave enough of a crap i guess that seems like bad paperwork who's who's, who's in charge i know of because they seem to write down everything there was that scene where gandalf went to look through the libraries in gondor and there's just like a lot of scrolls there's just a lot of scrolls tolkien you couldn't come up with like 17 i guess would be like i think you didn't want to come up with names. like 17 names yeah 34 just, names, 17 kings, 17... Look, he was stewards. old. He had, like, professor's stuff to take care of. Like, he's just not going to make up 34 He years. had enough time to write out, like, dwarven runes, and he had enough time to come up with 3,000 years of history. 
He was too busy wringing his hands about how paperback was based, Ryan. Okay, he did not uh-huh, have time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, I guess maybe the reason these stewards aren't recorded is because at that time, being a steward was just like a job. So you give the king advice, you draw a paycheck. Maybe I don't actually know if you get a paycheck for being a steward. Maybe you just got chair tomatoes <laughs> and a PVC pipe. <laughs> I feel like people remember like the the uh, secretaries of state of, of the presidencies. Do the, they, in fact? I mean, they r- at least write them down somewhere. They <laughs> do. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> I was gonna say, name the Secretary of State now. It is. Well, it was Rex Tillerson for a while. It's Sean Spicer. Nope. It serves. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> oh, okay. So, anywho, there wasn't much glamour or glory in the office of steward during this time, is what I'm trying to say. That all changed with Hurin of Emin. Arlen, the steward to King Minardiel, who reigned between 1621 of the Third Age and 1634 of the Third Age. Don't worry about these dates. Anywho. Then why are you telling them to me? Because they're just in here, okay? Alright. I copied and pasted it and they're just in here. With Hurin, the office of steward stopped being a job and started being a dynasty. Really? Yes. So Hurin is the first steward whose name is actually recorded. And he's important because after his time, the kings of Gondor always chose their stewards from the house of Hurin. Okay. Well, I mean, that's not a very lucky house. I mean... You have to understand that this Hurin was not the same Hurin from the First Age. He was just named after him. Oh, okay. Never mind. So really, the question comes down to, like, why was he named after this guy? I thought it was the same guy for some reason. No! This was... This is in the Third Age. That Hurin was, like, back in the First Age. Okay, yeah, that's right. So, anywho. uh, I guess this Hurin was just really damn good at his job, and the people at Gondor assumed it must be genetic. But it can't have been that genetic, because none of the stewards who served in the 302 years following Hurin are recorded either. So, I'm not saying these stewards sucked, but it would appear they didn't not suck. They could have hired somebody to write this stuff down, like a little secretary guy or something. I don't know. Maybe people, maybe letters were just not understood. Maybe there was, like, only a handful of people that knew how to write things down, and they were only going to do it. No, you had to write the first time. Maybe the letters weren't good. Maybe letters weren't good. Like, we can kind of decipher them, but because the letters they come up with at that time were just really bad, it's kind of hard to understand. Professor Joanna has just uh, readjusted her spectacles and is... uh, uh, adjusting her elbow patches as she continues in her scholarly w- details as she's just written words were not good words no chalkboard. words were okay words were decent but letters oh letters that's right could have used some more work okay they were basically just drawing a bunch of triangles and circles like they didn't <laughs> even know what the hell they were doing fascinating, just like this says this and everybody was like okay i guess it does i can't understand it but then again no one can cool so letters sucked back then and that's my scholarly opinion i love it but then between 1936 of the Third Age and 1944 of the Third Age. Before World War II. <laughs> no, during World War II. Contemporaneous with World War II. Yeah. <laughs> we got Palendur, steward to King Ondaher. And Palendur represented a brief glimmer of the future because for one year after King Ondaher died, Palendur ruled Gondor on his own. This was because the king had no obvious heir and it took them a while to dig one up. Mm-hmm, okay. Pelendur then went on to serve as steward to King Aerniel II for an additional 53 years. Now, apart from the concept of stewards ruling in their own right, there was another thing Pelendur established, which was hereditary rule of stewards. Not just kings, but stewards. But it's just a job. I mean, it was, but now it's a dynasty. And I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like the rules surrounding the office of stewards seem to be getting, like, less advanced. 
as time goes on. Like, first they were appointed by the king, which, like, granted, lifetime appointments aren't a greatly advanced thing to begin with, but that's neither here nor there, Supreme Court of the United States. Yeah. But then, after that, they went from being appointed to having to be from the line of Hurin. Then they had to be the son of the previous steward, which is, like, the least stable means of going about it. Mm -hmm. And also, this might be the radical American in me speaking, but hereditary rule is stupid. It's kind of a bad idea. Like, what if your son is stupid, huh? Yeah. Like, what then? What then? Like, actually, we'll learn the answer to that question a few times over as we discuss. Oh, okay. <laughs> I promise. Pelindura handed down the position of steward to Verondir the Hunter. And as his name suggests, Verondir was famed for his hunting prowess. His hunting horn became one of the treasured heirlooms of the House of Hurin. And it was the very horn carried by Verondir's descendant, Boromir, Ooh. on the journey from Rivendell a thousand years later. Did you know that? I do now. And although I think a hunter, those, those are pretty transferable skills into the... Job what, of hunting and, and politics? And stewardship, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that's why Dick Cheney, famed hunter, was also a famed vice president. Famed hunter of men. You famed mean. hunter of men! The most dangerous <laughs> So Remember when he shot that guy? <laughs> hey, you guys, you guys, you guys remember when Dick Cheney shot a guy in the face? Yeah. You guys remember that? <laughs> you remember when he did all those war that crimes so in the Middle East? That was so ridiculous! That what a weirdo! You he's guys. such a funny little hunter man. He's like, he's like Elmer Fudd, isn't he? Anywho, Boromir went and broke this horn like a boob. Oh no. So, speaking of which, do you remember how the horn of Gondor in The Hobbit was like a very tiny French horn? Yeah. <laughs> do we still have a sound clip of that? Can uh, you yeah, play hang it? Yeah, hang on, hang on. Anyway, I want you to imagine the legendary steward Verondil the Hunter honking on that bad boy. <laughs> honking on Boba. Like he sees a deer and he's like. <laughs> and next, after him, came Mardil Varanwe, who served as steward to kings Aernil II and Aernur for 21 years up until the Third Age 2050. Now, the rule of this second king, Aernur, is where things really ramped up for the stewards of Gondor, so we need to talk about Aernur a little bit. Aernur was a great warrior and became a great leader of armies before he became king. His greatest victory was against Angmar in Third Age 1975 in the Battle of Fornost, in which he defeated the Witch King. So is that kind of like uh, Lord of the Rings Vietnam, then? 1975. <laughs> so many protests, so many flower children. Yeah. So many gulfs of Tonkin. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. It, it kind of ends in a stalemate, so I guess in that way. Anywho, so he defeated the Witch King whom he intended to slay had his steed not panicked in terror of the Witch King's darkness. So he didn't actually kill the Witch King, so I'm not sure in what sense you can actually say he defeated him. Like, maybe he pushed the Witch King down and made him pull a hamstring, and the Witch King was just like, I ah! give! I give! <laughs> but anyway, he supposedly defeated him. So, at any rate, it was to Aenor that Glorfindel stated his prophecy that not by the hand of men shall he fall, referring to the Witch King as he fled from defeat. Uh-huh, okay. Not by it. The hand, but by the foot. Yeah, that could have gone that way. It, it ended up being a woman and not a man. But, you know, what if? What if it? What if it had spin his foot? What if he just kicked him? What if we played soccer against you, Gondorians? What if? Hey, marvelous Gondor. <laughs> Take you down the footy field. <laughs> No hands allowed. No, because I bet the Witch King would totally be like one of those soccer players that just takes a fall. 
Ow! I like oh, clutch yeah. their shin like, oh! So like somebody gets a yellow card. They totally be that guy. Like the, the horrible Nazgul scream as he falls down holding his knee. Yeah, and it's totally like, and Darcy goes like, hey, what? What? I what? Do I'm trying. I just what? went by him. This is stupid. I barely touched him. Watch the replay. This is the BS. That's this American's opinion of a sucker. So... Anywho, after becoming king in Third Age 2043, Aenor was challenged by the Witch King of Agmar, who he had failed to kill, who was then residing in Minas Morgul. Now, you might not remember, but we actually talked about this a super long time ago. Is this in your Witch King episode? I think so, yeah. How the Witch King of Agmar kept calling up Aenor and being like, hey man, 1v1 me. Yeah, I remember that. He wanted to duel him. Like, Fight me, you coward. Yeah. Debate me, you coward. Debate me. Why would you debate me? Why would you debate me? Maybe that's what, maybe that's what the defeat was the first time. If Maybe. Yes, he debated him. He debated him. They debated... What would they debate? Like, Chick-fil-A. Should Chick-fil-A... Should, no, just should Chick-fil-A. Should Chick-fil-A? Should Chick-fil-A? And Ang- and, and I think shouldn't. Chick-fil-A and, shouldn't. And Einar is like, well, actually, you know, they have some kind of regressive policies and everything. And, and Witch King is like, no! But have you had their fries? Their and waffle fries! No, the seasoning is dynamite, you fool! So he argued that Chick-fil-A yeah. should. I don't care they're not open on Sundays. They won't hire gay people. I love that chicken. Anywho, Anor was a dumbass rage baby. Yeah. And so when he got challenged to 1v1, the Witch King, he totally would have accepted it. But his steward, Mardil Voronwe, was like, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, oh, we're not going to do this. This is stupid. Bro, hold me back, bro. Hold me back. back bro, and he bro, did. Hold me back. He did. He did hold him back. Take my shirt back. off, bro. Hold me back. He looped that PVC pipe around his torso yeah. and he held him back. Okay. But only temporarily, because unfortunately in Third Age 2050, the Witch King started talking shit about Aenor again and demanding he 1v1 him. And this time, Mardiel was not able to stop Aenor from accepting the challenge. I told you to hold me back, bro! And so after entering the gates of Minas Morgul with a small escort, Aenor was never heard from again. His oh. crown lay on his father's tomb in the hollows of Minas Tirith. Now, Ryan. Yeah. When you first heard that the line of Gondorian kings had been broken, did you think it was going to be something this dumb? Like 1v1-ing the Witch King? Like, oh, I'm gonna go 1v1 the Witch King. Oops, I've never seen again. That's really silly. Yeah. But, I mean, on Niner's part, I think it's an interesting historical footnote that shows the folly of of pride. Anor essentially got dunked on by the Witch King, charged out of Gondor going, Nuh-uh! And immediately got his ass snatched. And he didn't have any kids to fill the spot. He did not. He did not. So that was that. Let your bro hold you back. Like, don't 1v1 a magical, cursed Witch King in his magical, cursed city. You always want to fight on neutral turf. Yeah. If you can help it. You know, home turf for the Witch King... Not a good idea. Not a great idea. Same thing, you wouldn't invite the Witch King to to fight inside your castle because you're going to have the advantage there too. It's not going to be a fair fight. You want to fight neutral ground. You got to set a neutral They should have fought on the plains of Pelennor, and that was that. Big flat, 1v1 me, final destination, no items, Witch Kings only. Anywho. What's that? That's how the legendary line of kings is ended. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. So, not trying to be current controversial here, but hereditary rule? Kind of stupid. I think you said that already. This yeah. Is, this is a pretty hot take. For... Stupid. That's, that's, yeah. So. Well, Joanna, I hope that when, when I die and you have to refill your, your host slot in the, in the podcast, you fill it with my firstborn son. You're not going to have a firstborn son, sucker. Oh. Sorry. I guess the line of kings is broken, then. I refuse to carry your fruit in my womb. <laughs> <laughs> so the line of kings for an apartment building in Chelsea, Michigan. For this, this, this institution called What's Lightsaber's Precious, the line is broken, and... Uh... Your son is dead. Your line well, is I'm ended. I'm dead. My son never existed. Bring wood and oil. <laughs>
At this point, the rule of Gondor passed to the stewards, beginning with Mardil Voronwey, the steward who had tried to restrain Aenor from going to Minas Morgul to face the Witch King. The stewards were to rule, quote, until the king returns, for it wasn't certain at first whether Aenor had been killed dueling the Witch King or not. Although it probably should have become clear after, like, several hundred years, but as my boy Denethor said, TEN THOUSAND YEARS WOULDN'T BE ENOUGH! He just got caught in traffic! <laughs> in, any, in addition! He went out to get smokes and he said he'd come back! <laughs> Why does mummy cry so much? <laughs> in addition, Aenor left without naming an heir, and while many nobles in Gondor could lay some sort of claim to the kingship, those claims were generally held in doubt. And no one wanted to risk another civil war like that one we've talked about before, which really devastated and weakened Gondor. Right. So they're just like, let's just leave it, we'll just have the stewards rule. So then, we had a whole slew of stewards after that, and the only thing notable about them is that a lot of them have the names of legendary heroes of the First Age, which became like kind of a tradition. Okay. So for example, there was Hurin the first, not the same as the Hurin who established the dynasty. He was like Hurin zero or something. And the Hurin before that was just Hurin. Hurin negative one. Okay. Um, Turin the first, Hador, aka named after one of the three legendary houses of man. Right, right. Barahir, Denethor the first, Boromir, etc. One steward I'd like to single out is Kyrian, who ruled for 78 years until third age 2567. He was the steward who got help from the Aotheid when Gondor was attacked by orcs and gave them the region of Karlanardon, which was thenceforth known as Rohan. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Anywho, a few more stewards weren't that notable. Then we get to Baron, who ruled for 20 years to third age 2763. And this clown was the one who gave Isengard to Soromon. Oh my god. I mean, like, at the time, Soromon was good, but oh was he really? He's named after... The Baron and Luthien, I assume? He is. I'm just saying, like, even before Sauron fell to darkness, he was kind of a fuzzy dick. Plus, he wasn't down with the Chronic. Well, he secretly was. He secretly was, but, like, not not publicly. If you're going to be down with the Chronic, be down with the Chronic publicly. Saruman was a freaking narc. Yes. Anywho, so uh, nice job handing over Isengard to a freaking narc, Steward Baron. Now, two more stewards, then we get to Thorondir, who was also kind of a fail steward. When his father, the previous steward, Belakthor II, passed away, the white tree in the heights of Minas Tirith also died. You remember oh. how it was dead in the movies? Yeah. And Thorondir, this goddamn dumbass, couldn't find any seedlings, so he just left a dead tree standing in the courts of the Citadel. You're gonna get bugs. Where it remained until the time of Aragorn. Yeah, you're gonna get emerald ash borers, is what you're gonna get. Yeah, dude. So, he's a major loser. So, oh, I found a way to shave millions of gold pieces off the royal budget. Oh, yeah? How about you find some seedlings, you stupid dick? How hard is that? Yeah. Is this like a particularly rare type of tree? Yes, it was. It was descended from the white tree. Well, okay. Kind of, kind, of buried, kind of buried the lead there. I yeah. Mean. So, but like, come on. Like, nobody took a cutting at any point. Like, Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, over the reigns of the next three stewards, which covered a little more than a century, things in Middle-earth started getting tempestuous. The Haradrim attacked, the Uruks also attacked, the Gondorians living in Athelion were forced to flee, then Sauron openly declared himself Lord of Mordor and started rebuilding the Tower of Barad-dûr. And during the reign of Icthelion II, father of Denethor II, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, Mount Doom burst into flame. Like I said, it had been dormant for quite some time. That's what volcanoes do. Yes. Then, during the reign of Denethor II, well... We kind of know what happened there, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. He tried to use the Palantir to Facebook stalk Sauron, and it blew up in his face, driving him mad and eventually causing him to try to burn himself and his son alive. 
Yeah. It was at this time that this punk kid, Thorongil, who had served Ecthelion II when Denethor was a kid, turned up in Gondor again. And it turned out he was Aragorn, the last surviving member of the line of kings. Hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What a twist. Now, we talked about this, right? How as a a younger man, he served in both Gondor and Rohan, and he met both Denethor's dad and Theoden's dad. So he knew everybody's dad. Basically, everyone was kind of over-stewards by that point anyway, so Aragorn restored the kingship and took Faramir as his advisor, his steward. Now, was Faramir called a steward? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Uh, Faramir's son and grandson also served as stewards, but we don't know what happened to the office after that. So does that mean that stewards are now extinct? Oh no, my friend. Oh no. You mean they, they still exist in the year 2019? Yes. So, though the office of steward only existed in England between the 12th and 14th centuries, other types of stewards are still alive and well today. For example, did you know that a licensed official at a horse show, tasked with the responsibility of interpreting and enforcing the rules of the organization that sanctions the horse show, is called a steward? That's just descended from Rohan now, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, now, what about a person responsible for preparation of food or caring for living quarters in the U.S. Navy prior to 1975? I guess they're called a steward. They're, they were also called a steward. How about a small mouse who dresses like a human and lives like a human child of a human family and learns to read? I don't know what that one is. That's called a steward, actually. That's a, that's a little steward. That's a good joke. That's a steward, a steward little. Just a little steward. Ho, ho. Would have been a funnier joke if you had ruined it. I can cut that part out, seriously. If you want me to <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anywho, that's what I have for you about stewards. Stewards. You know what also it is? Isn't that the guy, that the character on Mad TV? <laughs> yeah! God, I forgot about stewards. Watch me, watch me do this. Ah, ah. Yeah. I just remember like him having a high-pitched voice and like whining a lot in like a Chinese restaurant and while his mom was like, Now, Stuart! Look what I can do! It's been like a long, Look what I can do. long time since I watched Mad TV. The best sketch comedy show. Was it? No. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't even remember. Anywho, what do you it have for me? racist and bad. Okay, so I talked a little bit about the Star Wars news and part of that was the, the theme parks side of things. And so I wanted to talk about a part of the Star Wars galaxy that you might be familiar with. The Star Tours. Yeah, sure, that ride. That ride you can go on in Disneyland. Well, you can't anymore, though, can you? Ride, Joanna? I- I'm sorry. No, it is an actual part of the Star Wars canon. But it's a ride. <laughs> Maybe to you. <laughs> it's just a ride. But in the Star Wars universe, it's much more than that. Wait, so they took a theme park ride. So they were so obsessed with just incorporating everything into extended canon that they took a theme park ride. That would be like if Brendan Fraser took the mummy ride and incorporated it into the mummy canon, which would be very problematic because his character dies on that ride. It'd be like taking an educational game starring Yoda and putting it into the Star Wars timeline. Which they did too, so I don't know why I'm surprised. Star Tours was an interstellar travel agency which gave tours to prominent planets and moons throughout the galaxy. The company existed by the time of the Clone Wars, but was forced to file for bankruptcy in the year 4 ABY after a series of dramatic accidents. Star Tours offered a number of travel routes through the galaxy using its fleet of Star Speeder 1000 transports, kind of their their signature ship they would use. They were all driven by droid pilots. The Starline greatly expanded its business at some point between 1 and 0 BBY, opening a new intergalactic terminal on a space station in the Earth system. Oh my god, was it in Florida? Possibly. Was it in the Florida? And And was it across from the Hulk ride? That's Universal Studios Islands of Adventure, Joanna. (gasps) Isn't that where it is? It's at Disney World. 
No, it's not. It's at Hollywood Studios. Oh, I guess it would have to be because Disney owns it, but never mind. It is at Disney World. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. The agency hoped to provide unrestricted travel through the galaxy despite the Empire's strict oppression. Alderanian Captain Ramus Antilles, which you might remember. Antilles! Well, it was just a popular name generally, right? Remember, Ramus Antilles is the one that... He's not Wedge. He's, he's a one who gets choked up. He gets choked up by Vader in episode four. Everybody loves Ramus. Assisted in the launch of the expanded space line by assigning his droids C-3PO and R2-D2 to help with the launch of the new spaceport. Yeah. On the Earth system. Sure. Now, before boarding flights from the Earth station, luggage was checked by a droid named G-29T. He looked like this. Okay. Kind of looks like Johnny Five a little bit. He does look like he looks actually uncannily like Johnny Five. I wonder if he has U.S. citizenship. However, G two ninety sometimes fell asleep on the job, resulting in some contraband being allowed onto Star Tours flights. Now, how is a droid falling asleep? He has to recharge his batteries. Why doesn't he just like bring one of those portable battery packs with him? You know, a smart droid would. It's a little bit irresponsible. I'm just saying. He's just an NSA guy. He's not getting paid enough to like stay awake the whole time. Like. I don't know why they even need to sleep. Just plug yourself in. Like, he doesn't want to take, tell people to take their shoes off before they get in the star speeder. Like, he doesn't care. He's just like, I'm going to take a nap, take a breather. You guys, get your spice through the checkpoint. That's I don't care. such a millennial work ethic. Absolutely. What a lazy bum. He also once let a satellite receiver on board a flight, despite it being a contraband object by law, because it was, quote unquote, so cute. Aww, I would totally do that if yeah. somebody brought in like a robot or a piece of equipment that I thought was cute. I'd be like, "Oh, bring it on!" You're a regular old G two, aren't you? Yeah. He also ended up destroying a passenger's camera within their luggage, having mistaken it for an alien weapon, especially after it activated inside the luggage. Activated. So like the flash went off, and he's like, "Oh, I gotta!" Oh, kill it, it did like it did like yeah. a burst. Yeah, it did like a burst. I'm always accidentally doing it right. with my phone. He expressed a desire to travel the universe someday aboard the Star Tours ships, but was outfitted with a restraining bolt, preventing him from doing so for reasons implied to be related to his job. Wait, like, was he a slave or was he getting paid? He's a droid. Droids don't really get paid. What was, was he being provided with anything in exchange for his goods and services? A place to plug in, I guess. Which he apparently did not use. <laughs> he did, but he did it on the job, so. Idiot. He apparently knew also about the rebel base on Yavin 4. Whenever he tried to bring it up, he would stop himself. So he, like, kept, like, almost accidentally mentioning yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. being like, this is just like the time I went to rebel base on Yavin. I mean, this is, what? What? I mean, what was I saying? Sorry? This is like that time I, I saw I saw a, a big dog. And it looked at me. And it looked at me. <laughs> so that's that's one of, the ca- one of the crazy characters that's part of the Star Tours company. On an early voyage, the Star Tours flight 1401... Prior to the ship's departure from the terminal, Imperial agents discovered the presence of a rebel spy on board the Starspeeder and tried to arrest them. The flight was originally intended to be piloted by the AC series pilot droid AC-38, also known as Ace. However, due to a last-minute mix-up, C-3PO was driving the ship instead. Oh, God. The Starspeeder took off and fought its way past Imperial ships that surrounded the space station. Now, I have to say, I feel like anytime C-3PO is anywhere doing anything, it is the result of a last-minute mistake. He never wants to be where he is. He's always kind of just ends up there and, like... Like, the thing he was programmed for was, like, basically, like, ambassador work and translation work. It's like your job, yeah. It's basically, like, my job, and he ends up doing, like, anything but that. Yeah. And I have to say, like, if I was in C-3PO's position, I probably would react in similar ways. That's why he's the best character. He's the voice of reason, and he's scared of everything. And I don't blame him. After being chased through hyperspace, the flight landed and delivered the rebel spy to safety. Good. So good job. Now, at the time of the Battle of Yavin, Star Tour space cruiser Zarina 
was involved in a tragic accident that cost most of their passengers their lives. Did she die? Zarina was the name of the cruiser. Oh, it was the name of the cruiser. Yeah, okay. that's the ship's name. Got it. Kind of a black spot on their record. For unknown reasons, the ship's droid captain decided to change course towards Yavin to show his passengers, quote-unquote, something neat. Oh, no. Was during, th- during the Death Star run, yeah. Wait, was this... Well, no, this is a different one, but... Why are they all, like, so obsessed with Yavin? We'll talk about that in a little bit, but... Okay. They, the, we'll They're, like, constantly the, almost spilling the beans about Yavin. We'll just say the droid pilots and the droid workers for Star Tours, not of the highest quality. They a little, like they basically sucked. A little bit malfunctioning. Yeah. Once there, the yacht collided with an unidentified TIE fighter that was tumbling out of control. The collision caused the Zarina's hyperdrive to initiate randomly. <gasps> when it fell out of hyperspace half a galaxy away, it crash-landed on Dathomir. If you remember, is also where the witches live. Not a great place to be dead. Yeah, and witches ra- and Rancor's also Rancors. Rancors so. planet, yeah. Only one passenger was known to survive the crash. Who's that? Well, he went on to one of the uh, Dathomir bases and told the story of how the droid decided to look at something neat. And was blown off course. Is that the guy's only legacy? Yeah, pretty much. I figured it would be like, and that man was, was Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein. <laughs> I was going to say Emperor Palpatine, but you're right, Albert <laughs> Einstein. Immediately following the Battle of Endor, Star Tours sought to capitalize on the Model Sector's sudden rise in fame. That's the sector Endor is in. Okay. By promising a convenient daily departure to the exotic moon of Endor. So it became like a tourist destination, basically. It's yeah. Like, this was like where the rebels made their last stand and the war ended. And now... It's got a sandals resort! It's kind of like Gettysburg, but if they set up like a cool hotel there or something. Yeah! And it was along the decaying sanctuary pipeline. This is the pipeline that the Imperials used to get all the material to build the Death Star. Aha! The second Death Star, I should say. It was already decaying? Like, I feel like that Death Star had not been built that long ago. Well, after the Empire was destroyed there, no one was there to repair it. No money for infrastructure. They used cheap concrete to begin with. Yeah. yeah. We're from Michigan, we know. Yeah, the, the cheap concrete on the hyperlane. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know. During this time, C-3PO and R2-D2 again briefly worked for the agency while their owners in the New Republic were fighting against the Toffs during the Nagai Toffs. The Toffs? During the Nagai Toff invasion. The Toffs? I don't know who they are. Were they, like, because when I think of Toffs, I think of, like, a latter-day fop. I, I, that's what I imagine a bunch of guys in, like, white powdered wigs going, yes! <laughs> please, please, God, let that be what it is. Fighting the Nagai, I guess. So anyway, so Luke and friends are like, hey, Star Tours, take care of our droids while we're fighting Toffs. One notable droid pilot during this time was RX-24, also known as Rex. Here's what Rex looks like. Pretty cute. He's a cute little he guy. He looks like that one little, um, oh, what's a toy robot you had as a kid? It was like, my next question. And he's like 2XL. 2XL. Yeah. If you were a kid and yeah. you never had the 2XL talking robot. Yeah, that's what Rex looks like. Yes. He's got three arms, kind of like a cylindrical guy. He's got a little, little blast shield. He was an RX series droid pilot manufactured by Rubens Robotic Systems. The droid was one of several purchased by Star Tours Circuit 1 BBY. Ruben, did you say? Ruben Robotics Systems. Um, so when the robot messed up, did Ruben send them a note saying, sorry for CX24? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Joanne. That is top notch. <laughs> there are probably so many people listening. They'll understand American Idol season two jokes. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, now you know. Now you know. Now, <laughs> sort of. The thing about RX units, they were incredibly finicky. Now, when they worked, they worked great. But when they didn't work, they failed spectacularly. And Rex was one of those. When he first arrived at Star Tours, he was completely defective. When they pulled him out of the shipping crate, he could barely even talk full sentences. He's, oh, no. he's all jittery and weird and, like, repeating his name. And 
all all funked up. They're was, like, wow, this robot is on meth. This guy. Get this robot to a methadone clinic. So Star Tour slapped the decal as a defective and returned to factory on him, and he sat outside his crate for like two years. Wow. Without being messed with. Nevertheless, Star Tours decided to keep Rex at the company and has in-house repair droids restore him into working order. Probably for that one droid decided to look at something cool on the oven. That was yeah. Like a replacement. <laughs> All right, well, we need something else. By 4ABY, Rex was brought online as a fully functional droid pilot. By this point, Star Tours had upgraded its fleet of Starspeeder 1000 ships to the newer Starspeeder 3000 models. Star Tours assigned Rex to captain the Starspeeder 3000 on the maiden voyage of the Endor Express service. Ooh. Star Tours Flight 45. Only C-3PO saw the folly of the plan, as he saw that Rex still had the removal for a flight factory tag on him. Just to show that he's, like, brand spanky new. This is his very first flight, and he's doing the maiden voyage of the Endor Express. And C-3PO's like, oh, that's kind of a bad idea. And they're like, no! But they took off the defective sticker. Yeah, he's not defective anymore. He's not defective anymore. He's just really, really inexperienced. So, everything started out normal. He got into the cockpit, he lifted the blast shield, he talked to the passengers. R2-D2 was the navigator droid on this Flight 45. And with approval from Control, he lurched the starship into motion, but immediately took a wrong turn getting out of the station. How do you even do that? You haven't even left the planet yet, you stupid idiot. He almost crashed the ship on its first turn out of, out of the spaceport. Cool. But he finally got into space. Cool. Smooth sailing, right? Despite this inauspicious beginning, Rex then ordered R2-D2 to launch the craft into hyperspace. Now his next mistake of Rex was to come out of hyperspace a little too late, as he passed Endor entirely. Wah, wah. And he inadvertently moved toward uh, a field of icy comets instead. Oh no! He must have taken that wrong turn in Albuquerque! Oh no! So he piloted through the ice comets just fine, but found himself in the middle of a battle zone between the Imperial Remnant and the New Republic, uh, including several Star Destroyers and TIE Fighter squadrons flying about. In the process, Rex decided it'd be fun to join the X-Wing fighters on a battle run. Sure, why the hell not? Against the battle why the hell station. Not? That's like literally the opposite of what your job is, but why the hell so not? So he flew through the trench and shot down TIE Fighters so are, with them. are these like customers still in the oh, ship? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, there's, okay. there's, there's 40 people on board while he's cool, flying through the trench. Cool. Yeah. He came out of that alive. Somehow. R2 navigated away from that fight, back to the Star Tours base he started at, scathed but still intact. Scathed. So the Endor Express maiden voyage, not so great. Not great. Well, they didn't go to Endor, first of all. Second of all, they ended up in uh, a land war. Uh, a space uh, war. A space war. Yeah. Rex's flight proved to be something of a harbinger for the future of the Star Tours company. Several months later, after a variety of accidents and mismanagement, the company was driven out of business. So Star Tours is like basically a failure from start to finish, and yet if you go to Florida, they let you on it. That seems like a safety oversight. That's foolish. That's very foolishness. So yeah, that's the real Star Tours. Now, you've probably been thinking the whole time about that fictional version that exists at Disney World. Oh, wait, that's not the real one? Yeah. Oh. The real one's in canon, okay? Okay, so that's just a recreation. Right. I like how they recreated, like, also all the disasters, too. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Like, let's recreate this travel agency that sucked. Let's recreate it up to and including exactly how it sucked. Yeah. Let's make sure it sucks, because the real one sucked. Yeah. That's a fun idea. Who'd rather fly Star Tours or Spirit Airlines? <laughs> well, I think Star Tours isn't going to, like, charge me extra for having a purse, so. No. <laughs> okay, now let's talk about real life. Star Tours is the Disney simulator ride, as we talked about, at four of the Disney parks. It's at Disneyland, Disney World. Tokyo Disneyland, and Disneyland Paris. Where did we go on it? We went on it at Disney World and also in Tokyo Disneyland. We did both? Yeah, we did. Oh, okay. If you remember, the Disneyland one was in uh, Japanese. Yes. Right. It was actually the first ride in the Disney parks that did not use any Disney-designed imagery. 
Because of really? course, like non-Disney property. Oh yeah, because I guess they all would have been designed by Industrial Light and Magic and Lucas. Right, and, right, right. Yeah. Yep. The first incarnation of the ride appeared in Tomorrowland at Disneyland in 1987, so it's as old as we are. Yeah. The original... um, you don't need to give that away, though. Like, you We're didn't 32 really, you years need old. You do that. I'm not 32 yet, a-hole. Next week. No. The original Star Tours closed in 2010, while Disney decided to kind of renovate it as Star Tours The Adventures Continue, which opened on May 20th, 2011. The original incarnation was one with Rex as the pilot. Yeah. And The Adventures Continue is one with C-3PO as the pilot. We went on that one. We went well. on with C-3PO. Yeah. Did we go on the one with Rex in, in, in Japan? Tokyo? We did. Okay. So we've seen both incarnations. You've seen Rex in Japanese, not in English. But. Yes. So the new one is actually a prequel to the original ride oh. in the timeline. So like, Adventures Continue takes place around like 0 ABY, whereas Rex is flying after Endor. So like, I didn't catch B- that it was a prequel. I, I didn't either. At all. I didn't either. So the ride that became Star Tours, first saw light, is a proposal for an attraction based on the movie The Black Hole. I don't, I'm not familiar with that movie. It was a live action Disney It must have movie. been really popular at the time. It was not. It was a massive flop. So why oh, is that why they decided not to do a ride for it? Then? Yeah, the company decided they would kind of use this relationship they had with George Lucas and ILM because they did Captain EO together in 1986. Yeah. They said, well, why don't we just get him to make a Star Wars ride? That would be sick. Yeah, it would be sick. And it is sick. So with Lucas's approval, Disney purchased four large military flight simulators at a cost of $500,000 each and designed the ride structure. So wait, literally half a million dollars per. Well, each one was a military flight simulator, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So ILM worked on the first-person perspective film. This is kind of the thing you see as you're flying through the ride. And the, the simulator would move around and make you feel like you're actually on it. To get that movement correct, they actually would, they had an imagine, uh, um, call them Imagineers at Disney. The people I who, know that. I remember that from the Disney, watching the Disney channels as a child. Right, right. So they had an Imagineer. Tom Morrow 2.0. There you go. <laughs> An Imagineer sit in the ride while the video is playing with a joystick and kind of emulate the movements of the oh. video. Thing. And that's how you get the simulation of movement on that ride. Whoa. I thought that was kind of cool. I that thought, is really cool. Like, it, it feels pretty real. It does feel real. You know what, though? You know, like, the scariest flight simulator in, in all of the Florida parks? I swear to God, the Simpsons ride at Universal Oh, that's Studios. intense, yeah. I fun. swear to God. That was the one where your sister, like, almost threw up afterwards. It was super fun. I so. swear to God, I was, like, very scared on that Simpsons ride. It's great, though. Yeah, it's great. It's just very scary. So, finally, on January 9th, 1987, when I was about four days old, <laughs> I was a fetus. At a final cost of $32 million, the ride finally opened. So, unlike the original Star Tours, the adventure continues, this is the, the new one that came out, is in 3D, you have to wear glasses, and has 18 segments that are randomly chosen during each viewing. 18? And all the various options result in 54 different combinations. Whoa! Yeah. So the first part, always the same. It's either going to have Darth Vader or Kylo Ren stopping your ship from leaving the spaceport because there's a rebel spy on board. Then you go into hyperspace and end up in one of four places. On Hoth, during the Battle of Hoth against AT-ATs. On Kashyyyk, during a speeder bike chase with Wookiees. Yeah. On Tatooine, during the Bunta Eve pod race. Or on Jakku, while the Millennium Falcon is chased by TIE Fighters. Do you remember which one we even had? I seriously can't remember. I didn't know there were branching pathways, so you know I didn't pay that much attention. I think we had Hoth, and then the next one, I remember the next one for sure. Then, after that, you get a holographic message from one of three characters, Yoda, Akbar, or Princess Leia, with coordinates to the next spot for R2-D2 to go to. And then you fly to either Coruscant during the Clone Wars, which ends up on the docking platform with Millennium Falcon, or Naboo and Otagunga, uh-huh. Jar Jar swimming around, which ends at a Rebel Hangar Bay. Or Geonosis, where Boba Fett's trying to kill you and ends at the Rebel flagship, Home One. Or at the Battle of Crate from The Last Jedi, which ends in a hyperspace jump to Batuu. What, which one do we have? 
So that one, okay, I remember we had the Gungans. We had went through the planet Cor- the, oh, we had, we had the core. Yeah, I remember oh, doing that. Was Jar Jar there? He was there. Jesus Christ, I can't believe I forgot that. So the reason that C-3PO mentions the planet Batu is that that's the new land of Galaxy's Edge. That's the new planet. <gasps> oh! That's the new one they added. Kind of nice tie-in there, guys. Yeah. I would have been hyped if I had, like, remembered. We didn't see that part. We we went to there before The Last Jedi came out. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Right. It was just after The Force Awakens came out, so it might have had. So, I don't know if you can tell, there's a lot of different timelines represented in these things. Yeah, like, there's Darth Vader, but, like, Kylo Ren happening at the same time. Right. and... And if you get the random order, you could get a thing where it starts with Darth Vader, then it goes to, like, seeing Finn and stuff like that. And then you're going to jump into the prequels of Naboo. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But maybe you're supposed to be traveling not just through space, but also time. I just, I think, on the Wikipedia article, they're like, some of these combinations result in non-canon timelines. And it's like, well, yeah. I don't okay. know if any of it's canon because it's a freaking theme park ride. It's a theme park ride, guys. Weebs, you dillweeds. I have a little bit more behind-the-scenes stuff before we end here. Star Tours writer and producer Tom Fitzgerald had this to say about Rex. Finding the right voice for Rex is a real challenge. As a first-time pilot, much of the adventure was going to be an out-of-control wild ride. That meant he was going to do a lot of screaming. They also wanted Rex to be kind of giddy, enthusiastic, and a little impulsive. Yeah. Is it who better to voice Rex than Pee Wee Herman himself, Paul Rubens? No! Are you serious? Yeah. Is that Paul Rubens? Yeah. What? Really? Yeah, he's Rex. That's awesome! And remember, too, his manufacturing company, Rubens Robotics? Oh my god! Get out! That yeah. is so cool! We I mean, heard him in Japanese, and actually I read the Japanese voice actor. He does mostly dubbing for live-action films. Yeah. But he did Marty McFly in Back to the Future movies. Did he? He did uh, Timon in The Lion King. Oh my god! But he, wait, did he try to did he try to imitate like a Paul Rubens? Oh yeah, it's really voice? it's really really close. They do the same screams and stuff. That's hilarious. It's really funny. I think there's a few times where Rex laughs. It sounds exactly like Pee Wee. Wow, it's pretty great. Now a few of the droids in the queue line, like when you're waiting to get on the ride, are actually repurposed animatronics from defunct Disney attractions. So I remember G two. Yeah. T- our crappy little TSA agent? Yeah. He actually used to be a goose animatronic from a thing called America Sings. <laughs> that closed. <laughs> he is, so they just like took the goose out of there the, and the stripped skin, its skin off? Took the and... skin off a goose and that's what you see underneath is G219. Oh my god. It's just like a like a skin goose? And you can kind of see it, right? You can kind of see how he has like goose feet. You can see the goose feet, but I can't see like, I can see the neck, I guess, but I can't see like the face at all of a goose. I think they put binoculars on him or something. I don't know. Oh my god. Yeah. He's a goose. Robot equals goose. There's a couple other droids in the queue line that are also like stripped down animatronics, which is kind of a fun idea. Go yeah. into recycle stuff. That's some deep Disney lore for you guys. Now, I wanted to bring this up, Star Tours, today because it's relevant to this weekend's discussion. While Rex is no longer the pilot of the Star Tours ride, because he hasn't been for a while, he's going to live on at Galaxy's Edge. <gasps> so Batu, the little base you're going to be at, it's going to have a cantina. It's going to play all kinds of songs by figuring down in the modal nodes and Max Rebo Band and all yeah. kinds of jizz whalers. And there's going to be a DJ. And the DJ is going to be none other than RX24, baby. She going to have as a DJ? DJ RX24. Oh my god, wait. Is he as bad at it as he was at his previous Probably. job? Probably. Because he has no training as a DJ either. But Paul Rubens is going to voice him again. Awesome. So when we go to see Galaxy's Edge, we got to stop by the canteen and see Rex. Yes. Oh, we definitely will. So. But we're not probably going to go for a little while because it's going to be It's going to be bonkers. Crowded. It's going to be bonkers crowded. But I thought that was really fun. You know, they're like keeping Rex around. Awesome. Like he, he's Tip still around him. now, actually. If you go to Star Tours, the adventure continues. He's in the queue line. Yeah. With all of his defective stickers on him. But does he talk? Well, it takes place before right. his flight, right? But does he talk? He does, but it's all garbled and weird. Like, he says, like, I'm right, 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 Like, he kind of, like, stutters and, like, oh. it's supposed to be during his defunct stage. 
man, they really pay a lot of attention to like the storyline of these. Rides. Imagineers are all about that narrative, baby. All about that narrative. That thing's kind of fun. Star Tours. Cool, man. A, a, a canon thing in so Star Wars. So are we going this year? No way. No way. We're going next year? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Hey, but you know what else I'm curious about? What's that? What happened with our Thunderdome? Thunderdome is still going. I'm not going to let it end yet. How much longer do we have on the Thunderdome? Let I our, give let our a, listeners know. I want to give another like week or so. If you don't know what we're talking about, if you haven't checked our social media, our social media, we took all the bad names from the worst name challenge, and we've pitted them against each other in a battle royale free-for-all. 28 names enter, one name leaves. The worst, the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst name challenge ever be on Thunderdome. There you go. So the Thunderdome is where these competitors will fight each other. I need you, listener, if you're hearing this now and you haven't yet, to go on our social media, click that Google form, fill it out. It doesn't take that long. It looks like a lot. Just tell us which names are horrible, which names are good. And at the end, you get to tell us which name you think is the best, which name is actually the worst. So please do that. Please do that. It's a fun quiz. I mean, you're always posting your results for which Disney princess you are or whatever the shit. You might as well do this one, too. It'll take like, it's fun to answer questions on an internet quiz. It'll take like five minutes. You can listen to uh, Tina Turner while you do it. It's going to be awesome. That's so. right. And when we say that, like, Ryan literally put a link to Tina Turner on the quiz page, so... We don't need another hero. You can literally well listen to it. And we encourage you to do so. You know what I didn't realize? To listen to that song closely? What? They mentioned the Thunderdome in the chorus. I didn't... They do? Yeah. Is it kind of like how, like, when we were listening to the Queen song, A Kind of Magic, and we suddenly realized that... It's a kind of magic. It, like, literally references Highlander, like, in the song. Yeah. It says there can only be one. I guess I never listened closely to this song. I like, came on the radio and stuff, and it's kind of like, We don't need another hero. And it's like, In Thunderdome! <laughs> I mean, you're not that far off. We don't need another hero. That's like the second line. Behind the Thunderdome. <laughs> anyway, yeah. We're it. going riding on the freeway. Can't turn to rules. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Like you said, go on our social media, Facebook, Twitters, emails, whatsightsaversprecious at gmail.com. Hit us up in your preferred format and vote. Vote. Go to the polls. Pokemon, go to the polls. Thanks, Hillary. Thanks, guys. Okay, we will see you next week then. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.